I'm going to keep a lot of what we're going to do now really short because we do have some other things we want to get to. We're baptizing some amazing people that have given their lives to Christ over either this past year or have given their lives to Christ and never been baptized. And so that's a really exciting part of our celebration this morning. And so uh, I do want to get through just a tiny portion of the book of Acts, though, a real small piece, because it actually fits perfectly with what's happening this morning. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to the very end of chapter 14. Um, and we are going to just explore a couple of small, really quick things. I know none of you believe me when I say that, um, but I promise I'm going to keep it really short, I swear. Um, <clears throat> so if you are here for the first time, we are glad you're here. We're on this journey through the book of Acts. We are now into week 36 of a verse-by-verse, word-by-word, movement-by-movement study of the book. It has taken us uh, some significant time, and we are now officially, as we close out today, halfway through. It's a momentous occasion, and we are halfway uh, done with it, and uh, it only gets better from here. And so, uh, if you're here for the first time, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, let me give you a quick little catch-up um, where we are. We're on our first missionary journey. Paul and uh, Barnabas have taken off, and they have uh, basically begun the mission movement. The mission movement that Dave and Mindy and Bethany and Reagan, all these people are on, began at this moment in the church when uh, the church in Antioch sent Barnabas and Paul out, uh, and they began a 1,200-mile, two-year journey to share the gospel with Greek or non-Jewish Gentile nations. And we've seen all kinds of things over the past few weeks. We've seen them run into really incredible relationships. We've seen them have incredible struggles. We've seen seen them nearly killed. We've seen them run for their lives. Um, But today we're going to wrap up that missionary journey. It's coming all the way back around, and they are going to return home. The past few weeks, what we've seen is we've seen Paul and Barnabas get kicked out of Antioch, not the Antioch they were sent from, but but a different Antioch, different city with the same name, kicked out of that city, run out by its leaders, uh, told to leave the entire region. We see them head to a a, a new town, the town of Iconium, where they are threatened with their lives, and they escape barely by by way of just kind of racing out of the city while a crowd of angry people chase them out. Last week, we looked at uh, their movement into a town called Lystra, where they wanted to make them gods. You remember the crowd was like, oh my gosh, we can't believe they healed this guy. Couldn't believe they healed this guy. And they thought they were Zeus and Hermes, and we explored all that. And and they wanted to to make them gods, and they wanted to honor them and sacrifice to them. And Paul runs into the crowd, and he tears his clothes, and he says, what are you doing? We're ordinary people. We're not gods. You can't worship us. And, And the crowd wanted to do it anyway. But then this little group of Jewish leaders had followed them from Antioch to Iconium all the way to Lystra, 120 miles. They stirred up the crowd, and the crowd went crazy and decided now they wanted to kill him. They started throwing rocks at, at Paul. They think he's dead. They drag him outside of town basically just to die, right? That's what we looked at last week. The disciples gather around him. He kind of gets up. Uh, he's not dead. He begins to breathe, gets up, and he walks back into the same city, and they leave that next morning for the town of Derby, which we're going to pick up today. But the situations that have happened were all really similar. Paul and Barnabas go into a city. Uh, they make their way to the temple. They begin to teach. A lot of people come to know Christ. A lot of people get really angry, usually stirred up by the Jewish leaders. They threaten, slander, or attempt to kill Paul and Barnabas, usually run them outside of town, and they move on to the next city. And it's a, a picture that we will see in all these missionary journeys. But we saw it happen last week. They move out of Lystra, and they step into a new town uh, called Derby, which we're going to see today. 
um, and then they're going to make the journey all the way back home. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Acts 14, and we're going to dive into it real quick, and then I'm going to show you three things, really quick things that I love, and then we're going to talk about a couple of exciting things. So let's take a moment, and let's just pray. Lord, I love, I love your word. I love that it is more than something that guides our hearts and lives. God, it is the very picture of truth. God, your word is truth. It's an encounter with you. And God, we don't take it lightly. Lord, we thank you that we can open it this morning and find ourselves in it. Maybe not uh, the picture of ourselves, but the things that we're wrestling with or struggling with or, or identifying with. God, you speak right into the middle of our lives. Take a moment in your own heart this morning and just ask God to teach you something. I don't know what that is. I don't know what he wants to teach you or show you, but just pray that God would open your heart and teach your heart this morning. Just take a moment and pray for that for yourself. And take a moment and pray for someone around you or behind you, in front of you, even if you don't know their name. We do this every week because I want you to be in the habit of praying for other people. Pray that God would move in them, that he would do something mighty in their lives this morning. Lord, we pray that you would take your word and that you would speak directly to us, that you would reveal truth to your Holy Spirit, and that, God, we might, um, as a community and as individuals, uh, Father, be taught by you today. And we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. So just seven short verses, and we're going to wrap up chapter 14, and we're going to close out the first of several missionary journeys that uh, Paul kind of embarks on. So they have uh, been... Basically, they have left Lystra. Paul was drug outside of town after he was stoned to what they thought was death, left in the gutter to rot outside of the city. The disciples that uh, Paul and Barnabas had made while they had spent time there gathered around Paul's body. Who knows what happened? It doesn't tell us. Maybe they prayed for him. Maybe they just told him how much they loved him. Maybe they just sat there. But whatever happened, Paul got up, so he was still alive, got up, and he made his way back into the city, which we explored last week the challenge that that might have been if the city that that just ran you out and tried to kill you and all that he returns back into the city and he gets up the next day and he and Barnabas leave and they head for the town just kind of right across the way a town called Derby and so let's look at uh, chapter 4 verse 21 uh, 14 verse 21 so they preached the good news in the city and they won a large number of disciples and then they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for each in the church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after going through Poseidon, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door to faith for the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And with that, that first missionary journey, that first missionary movement comes to a close. Paul and Barnabas leave Lystra, they go to Derby, and we hear that a whole bunch of people come to know Christ in Derby. 
And then they begin to retrace their steps. They go back to Lystra where Paul was nearly killed. They go back to Iconium where they were run out of town by threat of execution. They go back to Antioch where the church leaders would raise them up and, and kick them out of not only the city but of the entire region. They go back down to Pamphylia, to Perga, and they get on a boat and they sail all the way back to where they started, where the church sent them out from, uh, from uh, the town of Antioch, right there on the coast. It's a remarkable thing because it's not the easiest way home. It was actually quite a long way home, um, but they retraced their steps, which is somewhat remarkable. And as I thought about all that's happening in our, in our journey and all that we've seen and how we wrap this up, um, and it fits really well with what we're doing this morning because this morning we've got a lot of exciting things, right? We've had the Kitsmans that are here talking about what God is doing in Peru. We know that Bethany is headed out to Thailand in two days. We're going to be celebrating baptisms together, the picture of, of, uh, of renewal, the picture of redemption, celebration of God's redeeming grace. It's an incredible moment and day of celebration, and it fits really well with what's happening here. And, and I don't want to kind of go long and talk about all the deep theological things that may be here. I just want to show you three things really quickly that I just love. And, and maybe they're not groundbreaking, and maybe they're not great theological things that we can hang our hat on. But as I read this text and I think about where we've been, these are just things that I love. And maybe you'll love them too, maybe you won't. But I think that they're, they're really powerful to me as I went through this. And the first is the fact that Paul and Barnabas did retrace their steps even when those steps led them back to difficult places. Like I said, this was not the easy way home. All right, in fact, they were kind of really pretty close to going by land and making their way back to Antioch, probably only about 120 miles, maybe 140 miles by land, and they could get home. But they retraced their steps, and if I had a big fancy map, I'd show you, but they retraced their steps back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Antioch, all the way back down 100 miles over the mountains to the coast, preached there along the coast, then got in a boat and sailed all the way across the Mediterranean Sea until they landed home. A full journey that took two years, 1,200-something miles by foot and by boat. And what's remarkable to me is that Paul and Barnabas, when they retraced their steps, they went back to the places that were challenging to go back to. They, went, they retraced their steps even when it took them back to places that were difficult. And I don't know about you, but when you've traveled and when you've been gone for two years from people that you love and that you care about, even the incredible experiences, when you start to get on the, the downside of that journey, like on the, the downhill, we're almost home, things are great, like part of you just gets that anticipation of going, man, I just want to be home. Like if I could just be home. And think about how extreme their journey was. Near death, starvation, being kicked out of cities, like it would have been easy for them to go, We'll just make the circle, right, and just return home. But, but they didn't. They actually retraced their steps. They go back from Derby to Lystra, where Paul was stoned, what he thought was to death, and drug outside of town. They went back to Iconium, where they escaped execution. They went back to Antioch, where the leaders had kicked them out of the entire area, the entire region, threatened them with death. They crossed the mountains, did all the things, and they retraced their steps. And I find this somewhat defying conventional wisdom. Because conventional wisdom says it had been a pretty successful journey. It had been pretty remarkable, actually. So just finish it up. That's what makes sense on paper. It costs less, less time, less money, less stuff, less resources. Just wrap up the journey and head home. You're tired and want to be there. 
And we know they want to be there because we see them celebrating and rejoicing and spending many, many years there before they take off again on the second missionary journey. Sometimes following Christ leads us into places that defy conventional wisdom. When we give our lives to Jesus, following him will take us places that conventional wisdom says that doesn't make sense. They're not always easy places. Sometimes they're really difficult places. Sometimes saying yes to Jesus takes us back to the very places and relationships and people that are difficult and hurtful. Sometimes following Christ puts us in a place where it defies worldly culture, whether that's financially, right, whether it's relationally, whatever it is. Following Jesus on some level is radical. And I love this picture because you know what I would have done? I would have just gone home. I would have loved to have just gone home. But you almost imagine the conversation them having, they're having together, and, and we get a glimpse as to why they retrace their steps. And they retrace their steps for a couple of reasons. Second thing I want you to see. They retrace their steps first because they're committed to making disciples and not converts. So look what they do when they get back to these cities. They begin to walk back into these cities. They go to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, right? They strengthen and, and encourage the disciples to remain true in the faith telling them they must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So they go back through all these cities, and they invite all the people that have given their lives to Christ, and they begin to disciple them, to tell them, stay, listen, stay true to the faith, right? You're going to have to walk through incredible, difficult, incredibly difficult things before you enter the kingdom of God. They were on disciple-making movements, right? A lot of times our evangelism and our efforts and our mission efforts are geared towards making converts. We want to walk in a place, we want to share the gospel, we want you to raise your hand, say, yes, I accept Jesus, and then you're on your own after that. But Paul and Barnabas intentionally returned to the cities to make disciples, to spend time with them and say, look, I want to share two quick truths with you that I think are going to change your life. One, stay true to the gospel, to the faith. Because there is going to be a world that is going to try and lie to you, right? In fact, the biggest struggle when it comes to following Jesus is the lie of the world, right? It's the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy says you can do it on your own. You can rely on yourself. All you need is your own effort, your own performance, your own stuff, or whatever it is. But we begin to believe lies. Not only about that, but we begin to believe lies about ourselves, who we are, our identity, why would God really want to save you? Why would he even care about you? You've made so many poor choices, so many bad decisions, whatever it is. Maybe God has forgotten about you. The lie and the lies begin to creep in. And so Paul and Barnabas returned to these places that cost them almost their lives to make sure the disciples there knew that they had to hang on to the truth. Because being a disciple is more than just saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. It's a daily denial of myself, right? And they look at them and they encourage them and they, they tell them that. And then they say, look, you're going to have to walk through a lot of hardships. We've talked about this extensively over the past few weeks. Following Jesus is an entry point into a difficult life. That's just the truth. Right? It's a beautiful, amazing, joyful life. But it's challenging. Because it's going against everything that culture says we should be and do. You just read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' entire line of teaching is so countercultural that it turns even religion upside down. Right? Those who are first shall be last, etc., etc. I mean, just the entire concept. And he's saying, Look, I want you to understand they're going to face difficult things. Don't be afraid of them. And they demonstrated that with their lives. 
They said, look, we came back here to Lystra where I was just pelted with rocks and thought to be dead so that I could tell you that you're going to have to walk through difficulty, so be strong. Because they were committed to making disciples, not converts. Our churches have got to be committed to making disciples and not attenders, right? The second thing that we see is that they're committed to building churches and not clubs. Look at what they do when they return to these cities. We must go through many hardships, they tell them, and then, then Paul and Barnabas appointed elders. For each of them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. They go back to these cities. They encourage the disciples. They begin to invest in their lives again, and they establish churches in those cities. Who's mature? Who's growing in their faith? Who is demonstrating the things that we see Paul teach about in uh, Titus and some of the other books that talk about what an elder looks like? And they install them and appoint them, and they say, look, we are interested in building churches that nurture and make disciples, and not clubs where we can be safe together, not congregations where we can just gather and be like each other, but real churches that are devoted to spiritual maturity and the movement of the gospel, and they find spiritually mature people that they have been discipling and equipping and training, and they appoint them, and they pray, and they fast, and they establish churches in these cities, because what good is it for them if they just breeze through and preach the gospel, and then walk out the door. Paul and Barnabas were committed to making disciples, and they were committed to building churches. As a church, we, together, this gathering, this ecclesia, has got to be committed to the same things. We cannot be committed to growing for the sake of attenders. We cannot be committed to just getting together once a week and high-fiving each other and sharing donuts. A part of us has got to exist to be known, to be vulnerable, to live in a place where we want to grow deeper in our faith, understand God's word more, and then plant and replicate our community outside of here. Our church Western culture is all about size. It's about massive growth to reach certain things so that we can do more things. And, and I appreciate that on a lot of levels. But the truth is the church should be about building churches. We should be about planting churches, whether they're across the street or whether they're in Peru or Bosnia or Guatemala or wherever that we should be about planting other communities, installing other leaders, watching the gospel community replicate itself. Paul and Barnabas were committed to it. This journey was not about them going through and saying, look, we won 15,000 people to Christ. Everybody pat us on the back. No, it was about sharing the gospel and then equipping those people to realize that walking in faith and walking with Christ was going to be challenging and difficult and hard. And they established churches because where do those disciples go to get nurtured and encouraged and fed? To the church. It's one thing just to tell somebody that it's going to be hard. But it's a completely other thing to put them in the community and say, this is your family. Like, this is the family. This is where you go when things are destructive, falling apart, when you have needs, when you have resources. We bring it here. And they put a model in church of a church that would establish and hold roots for those disciples. It's a really powerful picture of mission and evangelism. The final thing that we see, and the last thing I just want to mention about before we kind of segue and, and move into some baptism and some other cool stuff, is that when they get home, right, when they finally go through all these cities, and who knows how long that took, I and mean, we're not talking about weeks, so we're talking about months, them traveling and sailing, and they return to Antioch two years later. They celebrated and shared and spent time with the community. 
So when they returned, on arriving, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door to faith to Gentiles, and they stayed there for a long time. So two years goes by. Paul and Barnabas return, and the first thing that they do, the first thing they do is they gather the entire church community and they told stories. They loved being with their community, with their church. They loved sharing stories, and they spent a lot of time with them. They celebrated, and they shared, and they enjoyed those times. And as I started thinking about my experience with church growing up, and even my experience with church now, I thought about even how different this is for a lot of us, right? Church for most of us is an hour. If you come here, it's longer, but it's an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, right? Where if I just give that time, then I'm pretty good for the week. And if I, I'm really engaged, then I give another hour. Women's Bible study, men's Bible study, or some kind of life group or whatever. Like, but that's my experience. But church is not a place where I, I go to tell story, and I go to be known, and where I exist to know people, right? Most of the time, church or my hour of church is committed to entertain me with your teaching and funny stories and with your music. And if you don't, I'm just going to go somewhere else. That's what our, our picture of church for a lot of us is, has been. We see something so different in Scripture. We see a place where life is shared. If you go away for two years, let's say you've lived here in Oklahoma City your whole life. And you go away for two years and do whatever. Let's say you take a job somewhere or, or travel takes you somewhere. And you come back to the city. Who's the first group of people you call? Is it your church? Or is it your family and friends? Most of the time, those two things are very different groups of people. Very few of us would think, I need to gather my church together and talk about where I've been. Because we don't have that relationship with church, with the gathering, with people. My deep desire is that that's where we'd be. That we'd be at a place where this was more than just a gathering of people to sing a few songs and hear me teach a little bit on a Sunday morning and feel a little bit encouraged so that I can go tackle the week. You can do that anywhere. Anywhere in the city. 1,663 churches. But my desire for us is that we would be a place where we would exist to know and be known. That we exist to be vulnerable and share stories and challenges and difficulties. And we've got to be better at that as a community. To say, I mean, this is my family and challenge and difficulty and hurt and failure and joy and triumph, like whatever it is, it's just out there. And when I go away, I want to return and tell stories. And I want to celebrate. And part of what we're doing this morning is that. And it's why this idea of baptism is so amazing. But we've also got really other exciting things that are happening here, right? So a lot of you know that for the past several years, we've been looking for new space and looking for new space, not so that we can get bigger for the sake of getting bigger, but because we just want to honor what God is doing. And as you can see, there's not a, a seat here for us. And our lease runs out and all kinds of things. And we're excited because we're stepping into a new journey or part of our journey uh, beginning really this week. And some of you kind of know this, and I'm kind of making it a little bit more public today, and we're really going to talk about it starting in August for three weeks, but we've signed a lease on some new space um, right here on Western. Um, if you go down Western to 37th Street, uh, Hoffman's Furniture, all those furniture stores are going out of business. Well, Frank Bruno has been a great guy, and he's had that furniture store for a long time, and we're moving into 10,000 square feet of space on Western just right down the road. Our elders feel deeply committed. This is where God is leading us. 
One of the great advantages of it is it gives us more than double the space that we have now for basically what we're paying rent in this little space. And God has been so faithful. We wanted to be in this community. We feel like we want to sink our roots in here. But finding space in this community has almost driven us crazy because we have tried thing after thing, and God just has not said yes to it. And so over the course of the past three or four weeks, God has opened up a window And starting uh, August, that first Sunday in August, we're going to begin looking at our vision for the future. We're going to begin talking about together. And uh, we have basically committed ourselves to that space. We're going to begin to walk through it and have prayer gatherings over there and examine how God wants us to use us to really impact our neighborhood and our world better than we've even done here. It's going to allow us to stay in the community, but more so it's going to allow us to say yes to Jesus. And we're so excited about it. And so starting in August, we're going to begin a little three-week series where we talk about the church we want to be. What does that mean? Surrender, obedience, growth. What are those pieces? And we're going to talk about it in a little kind of break from the book of Acts. And if everything works out according to a perfect plan, which it probably won't, but that's fine, by October, we're going to be moving into new space. And it's going to take every single piece of this community to make it happen just from the reality of moving our whole life together. Very exciting, very encouraging things that God is doing. But even more so what we get to do today is we get to celebrate the fact that over the course of this year, we have had several folks that have given their life to Jesus for the very first time, and we get to celebrate that in baptism. What I see happening here in the church is that same celebration. That it's not the right, uh, a baptism is not the event of just one person by which they go off into a solitary place. But baptism is a public proclamation for the community. And these young, we have five young women actually that are getting baptized today. And they are publicly proclaiming what God has done in their heart, the redemption. And we as a church can celebrate that together. Not by way of saying, hey, yay for you, but by saying God is so great in all of us. And we stand up and we proclaim those truths. That not only is God faithful with our community and giving us space, but he's faithful with redeeming lives. And part of the picture of being church is engaging our life into that story, the disciple-making story, that we have a responsibility into each other's lives to not just clap when you get saved, but to invest in each other's heart as we grow into our own faith in Christ committed to each other in difficult times, in hardships, in struggles, in failings, in joys, in triumphs, in all those things, walking alongside each other. And that's what we see happening in Acts 14. They come full circle, and they land back in the community, and they tell story, and they celebrate, and they spend time together. It's a church I want to be, a church I want to be a part of, a church I want my life to be intertwined in. So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning, and I'm going to put Don on the spot a little bit. I'm going to ask Don to come up here and pray for us to close us out. And while he's doing that, I'm going to move down front, outside, and I'm going to invite those folks and families that are getting baptized today to come down outside with me. And we're going to ask you, when Don's done, to get up and not mingle around too much, but go ahead and move outside. we're going to do all of our baptism out front. It's really fun. People on the, in the traffic are going, what's going on out there? I mean, they'll honk and all kinds of stuff, which is great. And, and we'll do it all outside, uh, out front there, celebrating God's goodness and his grace. Um, but we invite you to come pour outside, be part of what we're celebrating and doing as we get to be the church 
together. So as Don closes in prayer, I'm going to invite those that are getting baptized this morning to come downstairs with me, and we'll get ready. And then we'll have the whole community come out, and we'll celebrate God's faithfulness and his goodness. Let's all pray together this morning. God, we just thank you so much for what you're doing. In so many uh, aspects of our uh, life as a body of believers, um, we are grateful and we are humbled that you would meet with us even once. And yet you keep working in our lives. You keep bringing people to know you. You keep bringing about more ways to spread your gospel and equipping us to do so. And so right now, Lord, as, uh, as we go outside, we want to celebrate what you've done in these young girls' lives, that they are now yours, that you watch over them and you guide them and you protect them and you teach them. Lord, we want to celebrate that with you today and ask you for more. Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen.